that he's going to go there via Indiana, which is okay, because we've got a guy there named Russ Moore, who also uh, was a who also um, was a special blessing to me when I was here at the college. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15? Boy, you guys are quiet today. You know, I was sitting there thinking, did somebody die? What happened? You know, I heard about the great response that you gave to the earthquake. I was here for the earthquake. I came only for two days. The Lord didn't want me to miss it. In fact, I was, I was getting ready. Um, when, when the first alarm, the shaky alarm, went off at 4.31 a.m., it was just 59 minutes before the other alarm was scheduled, and I was going to be to LAX and out of here. That's how close I was to missing it, you know? So the Lord really wanted me to enjoy the earthquake. And, uh, and I'm glad you enjoyed it, too. But you've had 7,000 more since then. Is that, is that how many? Boy, you're still you're dead today. Why are you so dead? You, you must have forgotten how important you are in the plan of God. No? How many of you know how you got here? That's about 30%. I'm starting to figure out why you're so slow this morning. No? It's, it's real obvious how you got here, and this is a very, very special place. I, I do have privilege to travel the world last year 12 times to Europe and one time to Asia in one calendar year. I hope I never have to do that again. But I do have that privilege, and wherever I travel, I want to tell you, whether it's North America or whether it's Europe or whether it's Asia, there is no place like the Master's College. And God must have very special regard for each one of you that he lets you be here as a student. I mean that from the depth of my heart. No, really. Get up every morning and thank him for the privilege of being in this place. When I was not too many years older than you, and when I was your age, by the way, I wasn't a Christian. I had, I had never questioned the truth of the gospel from a tiny child. I had never questioned that, that, that the Bible was the word of God from a tiny child. But I had a rebellious spirit, and I didn't want to have a boss. I didn't want even God to be my boss. And so when I finished college and I went into the, into the military and had an interesting time preparing for my missionary career by intercepting Soviet military communications, I had no idea. I mean, if you would, have, if you would pull my high school graduating class and say who was least likely to become a missionary, I would have been way ahead. They wouldn't have known who was in second place. And I would have bet my life at that point that I would never become a missionary. When I came back from the Air Force, all I wanted to do was get a job and make as much money as I could as fast as I could. And I learned kind of how to do that. And I learned how to get promoted fast. And, and, I, and I, used to, I used to be invited by universities to go and speak to their, to their marketing majors especially and sometimes to a whole student convocation to speak on the subject of how to maximize your career how to get on the fast track in a corporation, number one. How do you get on the fast track? In every big corporation, Paul, you mentioned IBM, in every big corporation, there are a handful of guys and gals now from the beginning, from the beginning from when they're first hired that the senior, man, senior management is trying to identify who are the ones for the future, who's going to be the chairman of the board in 20 years, who are going to be the national sales managers, who are going to be the vice presidents, who are they going to be, and they're looking, and they're looking real hard. They're identifying people, and those people, they put on what they call the fast track. And I got on a fast track. And I was driven. All I cared about was making more money, getting promoted, 
And when I'd do those seminars, I'd, I'd, I'd tell them I had a theory. I had a theory. It was just, just simple. That, that if your learning curve started to flatten out, that is, if in your job it started to be at least a bit boring, or say another way, if you started to feel like you knew how to do your job, you were in the job too long because you're starting to get stale. You couldn't run as fast as the other people. That's a steep learning curve. You always have to keep a steep learning curve. You want to maximize your career in the marketplace. Secondly, to maximize your career in the marketplace, you have to keep a steep learning curve. Learning, earning curve, I'm sorry. Learning and earning. That means each year you need to get a bigger salary increase than the year before. You need to get a bigger bonus than the year before. And if your salary increase is a little less than the year before, get out of that company because you're slipping off the fast track. They're no longer thinking of you as potential president someday. And I'd go around giving seminars like that. I was totally driven. I'd work 90, 100 hours a week. I was trying to find fulfillment. Fulfillment. I never found it there. I found it at a Billy Graham crusade in 1968. As my wife was at home praying that God would open my heart. I stayed in industry for another six years. My career continued to go well, but I had a different kind of motivation. Just after I got saved, I began to look through my corporation. I was desperate because I needed a role model. There were, there were role models in the corporation for doing what I was trying to do. But when I got saved, I didn't have a role model. I needed to find somebody who was sold out to Christ and was known for their excellence in that corporation. Somebody who was respected by everybody in the company, but they were also known, more importantly, for their commitment to Christ. And I began to eat lunch with different people and ask them, you know, and I, I found out that probably over half the guys in the corporation, the management team, said they were Christians, and most of them went to church every Sunday, and they were doing pretty good with their families. But when they came in to work on Monday morning, they put on a different hat. They had a Christian hat at home and on the weekends. But when they came to work, they had a different hat. And it didn't seem like that ought to be to me. And I was praying that God would bring somebody into my life. And I almost concluded that to be sold out to Christ and to be known and respected in corporate management were mutually exclusive. You couldn't be both. And then just in the nick of time, the Lord sent a man into my life. Some of you may have met him. He's now on the board of directors here at the Master's College. His name is Bill Coptus. And Bill was that kind of man. And God's allowed him to be in my life from that beginning until now. And that's been a special burden for me. Ever since I got saved and found Bill Coptus and found there was a, a way you could do that, that you could actually be known for excellence in your career, no matter what area, what field career that would be. But more than that, you could be known for your commitment to Christ and it wouldn't adversely, wouldn't adversely impact your career, as, as many say. That's a myth. That's a myth. And so when we have a time set aside, what, which we used to call call the marketplace, I'm not sure we still call that at that, Paul, call the marketplace. Uh, I can't get up and just start talking to you about what it's like to be in business. And Paul, incidentally, your, your presentation was excellent. I hope you were listening to him. But for a Christian who understands the Word of God and is serious about making their life count on this planet and being the steward of all that God has given you and beginning with being here at this college, the gifts and abilities, the uniqueness, when you fully understand how special you are in the eyes of God, there's never been anybody like you, there'll never be anybody like you again, 
You were born in the right place. You have the right personality. You're a perfect match for the plan that God has for your life. A plan that will bring maximum glory to Him and maximum joy to you. And how do you find that? By being obedient a day at a time. First of all, all Christians are called to love and to obey. I want to, I'm going to slip into this this way, okay? I don't want to just talk about call to the marketplace. I'm going to talk about more important calls, more general calls that we all share. First, we're called to love God, how? With all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Secondly, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. Some of you may want to write these down. I've got a big list of things here that, that can really help shape your thinking. When you begin thinking about a career, what does it mean? Career. For the, for the Christian who understands career equal ministry, ministry equal career. Whether you're a missionary, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a corporate executive, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're in the movie industry, ministry equal career, career equal ministry. There's no difference. Thirdly, we're called to obey Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Don't turn there. I'm going to give you scriptures now as I go. First two are Matthew 22, 37 and 39, of course, about loving God and loving our neighbors. Fourthly, we're all called to work how? Heartily for the Lord rather than for men. Colossians 3.23, that's our motivation. No matter what it is, is we work for God first. We work for God first. The question is not how will my company perceive what I'm doing, is it will it be pleasing to God? Secondly, Roman numerals 2, all Christians are called to bear fruit. First, we're called to love and obey Second, we're called to bear fruit. John 15:16, right where you are, one of my favorite passages because he says it so clearly. Our Lord's, our Lord's words here, you did not choose me. That's you and me and Jesus speaking. But I chose you. Since chills up my spine to think that the creator of the universe, the one who gave himself on the cross for me and for you, chose us personally. Not only did he choose us, look at the next, next verb. And appointed you, appointed you. That means he has a plan for your life, very specific, for you. And what's that plan? That you should go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. Go. That means motion towards the lost. Motion towards the lost. Every aspect of your life should be characterized by motion towards the lost. That's, that's the only reason you're still on the planet after you got saved. Going towards the lost and not just going, but bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. And what kind of fruit? He says so. Fruit that remains. There's only one kind of fruit that doesn't spoil. It's spiritual fruit. It's the purpose of it all. It's why you were chosen. Why you were appointed. Why God has a plan for your life. That you would bear spiritual fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. He's saying here in the context that when you're in the business of walking in obedience and purposed in your heart to bear fruit and that fr fruit that would remain, that while you're in the process of that, just ask for his help and he's going to give it to you. And guess what? You can't do it without his help. You can't. He, he, he'll open the doors of your co-workers in the corporation. He'll open the doors to the hearts of your co-workers in the hospital or wherever God places you. He'll go before you. Even the Apostle Paul had to pray for God to open the doors for the gospel. And then he says, this I command you, that you love one another. We've got to be known by our love. As we're called to bear fruit, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 tells us that we're to be ministers of reconciliation. 
agents to bring people to Christ. Where? Where we work, where we live, where we shop, where we see people over and over again. When Jesus told us that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, who are our neighbors? Neighbors are people that are in our lives on a continuing basis, people that we see over and over again, people who live and work and study in proximity to us. Thirdly, he says we're to be ambassadors for Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, to be ambassadors for Christ. That's the thrill of my life. Those of us who get to go to other countries all the time are constantly aware of the nature of that assignment because we're working in international relations and in foreign affairs. And so you, the word ambassador is a word that you hear a lot. Here in America, in Santa Clarita, in Southern California, you're just as much an ambassador for Christ as, as, as I would be overseas. But it's more difficult to remember that. You represent Christ. You represent our Savior and Lord. You represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wherever you go, if He has so equipped you and gifted you and given you special talents and gives you an education and leads you into a particular career field, what's the primary purpose of your being in that career field that God has given to you? Is it to make money? Is it to provide for your family? Is it to, to make so much money you can buy a million-dollar house and, and have a Rolls-Royce? All that could occur, but the primary purpose of your being there is not for that to occur. It's for you to be the point man for Christ. It's for you to be the ambassador for the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It might be in Hollywood, even in the movie industry. Don't give up on such places. The Word of God tells us that we're to take the good news of Christ to everybody on the planet. And then in the Great Commission, the part that I love the most is where our Lord tells us, commands us to make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. I hope that there's something in many of your hearts. An excitement about things foreign. An excitement about things international. When I was 15 years old and, and far, 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 far from Christ, I got an idea that wouldn't it be nifty to do something overseas. Wouldn't it be neat to be involved in something international? I wasn't a good student. All I did at that time was play whatever sport was in season, drive a convertible, chase women, and try to look sharp. That's all I did. Oh, I was making money too, by the way. Yeah, that's all I cared about. But somehow through all of that messed up priority system, I believe that God began to put a desire in my heart, even at that time. At age 15, when I wasn't even a good student, I went out and bought a subscription to U.S. News and World Report because I wanted to get that World Report. And every week it'd come, I'd read. Whatever. I just turned to whatever the international pages were. I could care less about the domestic politics. I just wanted to know what was happening internationally. And God was putting that desire in my heart even then. I hope it's in many of your hearts. In fact, if you want to maximize any career in these days, you better have an international orientation. Don't ever go on a summer missions trip so that you will be able to write down some foreign countries on your resume. Don't ever do that. That's the wrong reason to go. But if you go on a summer missions trip and you write, you can write on your resume that you spent a summer in, in several different countries or even just one country. Guess where your resume goes in the stack, in the personnel office, in the human resources screening process. They're looking for people. Every corporation is looking for people who have international experience, be it even a few weeks in a summer. 
Roman numeral three, all Christians are called to be a blessing to those around them. What does this have to do with marketplace? Everything. Okay? First, all Christians are called to love and obey. Second, all Christians are called to bear fruit. Thirdly, all Christians are called to be a blessing to those around them. Doesn't matter where you work. Doesn't matter if you're working at McDonald's. Doesn't matter if you're working out at the prison. Doesn't matter where you're working. Doesn't matter if you're on the president's cabinet or you become the president yourself. As a man or woman of God, you are called to be a blessing to all those around you. First Peter chapter 2, Peter writes that we are to keep our behavior excellent among the non-believers. Keep our behavior excellent among the non-believers. We have to model Christ-likeness every moment. How could you do that? Only by God's help and by the Holy Spirit enabling you to do that. Secondly, we're to live in submission to every human institution for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. We're to honor all men. All men. Not just the men that we respect, but all men. We're to be a blessing to all men that God brings into our lives. We're to love the brotherhood. We're to honor the king or the political leaders. And I feel guilty every time I criticize the current administration. I need to ask God to forgive me for something I just said to Dr. Stead. I don't think it's appropriate for Christians to have a critical spirit concerning the leadership that God has placed over us. Sixth, we are called in being a blessing to those around us to submit to our boss how with all respect. And if you have a terrible boss, if you have the worst possible boss, give him all the more respect because we'll bring more glory to God by submitting to a terrible boss than by submitting to an easy boss, right? Seventh, as you become a supervisor, and some of you are already, we're called to be just and to be fair to our employees, Colossians 4 and verse 1. Number eight, we're called to be the salt of the earth. And that's a message in itself, to be the salt of the earth, to be delicious, to flavor every situation that we're in, to have a presence for Christ wherever you are that people are glad to be there because you're there. They're, they're drawn to you. And when you talk, they want you to say more because you have interest in them. You're flavoring their lives. You're not talking about yourself all the time. You love them. You're becoming known for your love. Number nine, we're called to be the light of the world. The light of the world. And that's what it, what's exciting about it getting worse and worse and worse. The darker it gets, the brighter even one little light is going to shine. It's tremendous. So don't be concerned that the world is getting bad. The world is supposed to be bad and getting worse. Christians, on the other hand, are supposed to be good and getting better, and we have the power within us to do that in the process of sanctification. Finally, and I love this one, turn here with me to 2 Corinthians, please. Chapter 2. Verse 14. The Apostle Paul writing these words to the church at Corinth, and they fit us so well today. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Not only to be salt 
and to be tasted. Not only to be light and to be seen, but even to be an aroma. And and isn't it neat when you walk into a house and and there's a special aroma? The the mom, the lady of the house, the wife of the house has has some special herbal sense that just boy, it just makes you feel welcome, good to be there. Just a or, or maybe it's a sweet aroma of something cooking your favorite dish on the stove and you walk in and wow, I can't wait. We're gonna have spaghetti tonight, you say. I could smell that sauce. It's gonna be terrific. A sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. That's what you and I are to be, wherever we are. Wherever we are. I could joke, I guess, and say that begins with having the proper deodorant. But it's all so much more than something like that. To be a sweet aroma of what? Of the knowledge of Christ, that your knowledge of Christ and your Christ-likeness is so evident that it permeates the room that you walk into. There's something different about you, so different about you. And where are we to do that? I love it. He says, in every place. How can we be in every place? Every place. Well, we can each one be in a different place. Christians worldwide. That's, that's the beauty of the Great Commission. When the, when the Lord Jesus told us that we're to go and make disciples of all the nations, I like to think about, I like to think about how do you disciple a whole nation? The only way you can disciple a whole nation is to have Christians, sold out Christians who understand career equal ministry, who understand that the purpose of their career, no matter what it is, is to advance the kingdom, right? Christians like that in every career field, doing what? Making disciples in every aspect of a nation. Every aspect of a nation. Christians everywhere. That's what we're to do. If every one of us became a missionary, we couldn't do that. However, it seems to me, with the opportunities that we have overseas, that not quite enough of us are following the Lord's leading into missionary service. And I'm tempted to, to talk more about that today than I should because of the nature of the assignment. I'll just sneak this in. We have wonderful opportunities at Kiev University and we'll teach you Russian so quick that in 10 months you'll be able to give your testimony and preach in Russian from a manuscript. We have seven graduates of the Master's Seminary now working in the former communist countries. Four of them are in Kiev. Two of them there are leading an outstanding new seminary, two years out of seminary. They're leading and the main teachers in a seminary, a key seminary. You couldn't do that in America for 10 years. But as a young person from a good school, you can do that almost immediately in these emerging countries where they've never had a seminary before, where they've never had even Bible schools before. And there's a great need for teachers to come. There's a great need for people to come and, and help plant churches. But I, I'm working not only in the, in the realm of, of people who can come as normal career missionaries, but make a note of it. We have wonderful opportunities at Kiev University beginning this September. Some of you are coming on summer programs, and we're thrilled about that, and we're looking forward to having you and praying that that would be a taste that God would influence for the days ahead, whether to come in missionary service or whether to get involved in international commerce because you get so excited about things that are international. 
But in the nation of Albania, where my son Rob is ministering now and his wife Pamela, they just came home for the birth of our first grandson about three weeks ago today. And we'll go back about April 1 to Albania. They need help in Albania. Dr. John Hughes was just in Albania two weeks ago conducting a teacher training conference. Training not, not missionary teachers. These are secular people. Training the lead teachers from many of the districts of that nation teaching them in pedagogical methods and giving them, giving them biblical values and seizing opportunities. And I just saw his report yesterday. He had a 25-minute interview on national television about why he would come as an educator to help their nation. We need people to come to Albania in non-traditional missionary roles. We need, we need missionary farmers. We need missionary educators. We need missionary businessmen. We need missionary sportsmen, and we need some pastor teachers to head up church planting teams. What I just described would be, will be a church planting team in Albania, a missionary educator who works as a consultant to the public schools and helps them and seizes every opportunity to evangelize that school and those teachers and that principal. And the missionary businessmen who, who go and help those Albanians begin as entrepreneurs to start small businesses and seize every opportunity to share the gospel. Missionary farmers, we've just had quite a few over again this spring already, going out, living with farmers, being like an agricultural extension agent, helping them in their farming methods and seizing again every opportunity and winning many to Christ. Sportsmen, we need people who can go, people who, who are interested in, in coaching and developing sports programs and doing that in such a way as to exploit it for evangelism. And those are the people that comprise a church planting team for us in Albania. Why are we doing that? Because the people in Albania have never seen, they've never seen a new creature in Christ. They've never seen the fruit of the Spirit. And we've decided that instead of just doing a storefront preaching, which is okay, but then they'll come and they'll just, they'll, they'll just hear they won't see what a Christian is. They need to see what a Christian is. And so we're asking God to give us people who would come in career fields that would normally be thought of as, as more secular. But to do that career field in Albania as a member even of a church planting team. So really, when you consider these verses that I went through quickly with you this morning, these great truths from the Bible, you could only conclude that the main purpose of every Christian's career is far more than simply to earn a living or to amass a fortune. But the main purpose of every Christian's career, Christian's career can only be to advance the kingdom of God in a specific sphere of influence. And so the main question becomes, which sphere of influence has God designed for you? Where should you be salt? Where should you be light? Where should you be a sweet aroma? What are your special qualities? What are you best at doing? What do you enjoy doing the most? What do you get excited about doing? The answers to those questions will indicate to you how God has prepared you and how he is leading you. You'll always want to go to Psalm 37, verses 4 to 5. Let's go there just for a moment right now. Very familiar passage. You see, God wants you to know his perfect will for your life. Some people think it's a big guessing game and you go through half your life wondering what God wants you to do. God has equipped you to, to serve him in a maximum way, and therefore he wants you to be right on target. Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, 
That's the key. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Is He the priority of your life? Do you really love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? That's the beginning, even for career planning. Delighting in the Lord. And what? And He will give you the desires of your heart. How can He give a guarantee that way? Because when you're delighting in the Lord, He puts the desire in your heart. You want Him to. You're asking Him to. You're saying, Lord, what would you have me do with my life? I just want to do what you want me to do. That's delighting in the Lord. And He puts a desire in your heart. And, and the desire in your heart will grow. And, and then the psalmist writes, then commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. And what? He will do it. He will do it through you. And then the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, turn there with me, please, says it. Says, says exactly the same thing in a New Testament context. And this is all you need to know to discern God's will for your life. Verse 12 we begin with in chapter 2 of Philippians. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Here it is. For it is God who is at work in you, God working in you, Two things, both to will. That's the, that's the putting the desire in your heart. Both to will and to work or to energize for his good pleasure. In other words, as you delight in the Lord and he puts desires in your heart and, and he gives you that desire, then he makes it happen through you. He makes it happen through you. You can't miss if you're on target with the Lord. And by being in the career field that God has designed you for, you have opportunity to bring maximum glory to Him. And you'll become known for your excellence. People will be attracted to this. This is how it works. You'll be known for your excellence in that environment. People will be attracted to you. And as they pay close attention to your life, they will notice that your character qualities are different, that you have special qualities. And as they observe your special qualities, they'll be impressed and they'll want to know what makes you so different. And you'll have a powerful platform to be a minister of reconciliation and an ambassador for Christ. Now, there is not a nation in the whole world today where it's against the law to live in such a way. You could go to China. You could go to China. You could go to the Middle East, to the most severe fundamentalist Muslim area and you could live in such a way you could live in such a way you live in such a way as a godly person who's known for their excellence known for their godly qualities and people are going to be drawn to you and they'll be drawn to you privately and quietly and they're going to and they're going to look for the opportunity to start asking your questions start asking your questions you know such simple questions as how can you always be positive how can you come into we got all kinds of problems you're in a work team and they can't understand how every day you come in as an optimist. How can you always have joy? Where do you get the joy? I mean, you know, how can you always have good relationship with your family? You know, how do you love your wife and always be faithful? Those are the kind of questions that believers are often asked. 
when they're living in the way that they should be living in the midst of a worldly situation. So the question doesn't become, is it ministry career or a secular career? That's not the question. Get that out of your mind. The question is, which ministry arena is best suited for you as you begin your working career? And I want to stress, as you begin your working career. Paul Martin said he has some statistics that, that, that no more than, what, 15% of people will actually work in the career field they're planning for? I sure wasn't planning to be a missionary. I was planning to be a lawyer, and I never became a lawyer. That's a whole other story. I worked for a law firm all the way through, uh, all the way through college. I became a businessman. And then I got saved. And then God called me to be a pastor, but not for the rest of my life. I was a pastor for eight years. It was tremendously fulfilling. And then God gave me the opportunity through Dr. MacArthur to come here to the Master's College in 1985. And I had just begun to start making mission trips just before that. I made my first trip to Asia just before I came. And God began to put a desire in my heart for things international, for helping take the gospel to nations where people had never heard before. And I guess I, I'm constrained to tell you this morning that having had these four different careers and having not become a missionary until I was a half a century old, if you can imagine. My greatest fear for all of you today is that God might not let you become a missionary. There's nothing like being a missionary. These gentlemen from GMU would tell you the same thing. I mean, if God will let you be a missionary, be a missionary. There's a great myth in America. There's a great myth in the churches in America about what it means to be a missionary. If you're an evangelist and you'd like to have an opportunity to share Christ all day long, every day, don't go into the business world. Become a missionary. Because you won't be able to share Christ all day long. I mean, if you're living in a proper way in the business world and you have a burden for those souls around you, the only time you can legitimately witness to them is when you're on your breaks and at lunchtime. Otherwise, you're going to steal company time. And is that going to bring honor to God? You've got to be known for your excellence in your career field, not being known for twisting people's arms to try to get them to accept the Lord. If God has put a desire in your heart to preach, please become a preacher. Don't take a job in industry to preach to your co-workers. Become a preacher. But if God has put a desire in your heart to touch lives that pastors and missionaries will never see, please pursue a career in education or in business or in the healthcare professions or in one of the other thousands of fields. Please do it. And as you consider various career opportunities, also ask yourself how each possible career field could be used to advance the kingdom, okay? There's another question I'd like to add to what Paul suggested earlier, okay? First question is, what do you think God wants you to do with your life? Second question has to be, forgive me, Paul, second question has to be, how could you make that career field count for Christ? You've got to understand that. And the third question is how to get it, how to get there from where you are right now. Together, every one of us, we're called to make disciples of all the nations.
There's still many, many nations that are closed to missionaries but open to teachers and open to businessmen. Every missionary on the field needs faithful partners for prayer and for financial support. If I didn't know that a lot of people were praying for my wife and I, I'd quit today. There's no way I would be out there without knowing that I go in the power of God in response to the prayers of our partners. Every church here in America needs faithful members, godly men and women who are penetrating their spheres of influence in the world and bearing much fruit. Some of you are thinking that you'd like to do it all. How do you make a choice? You're having trouble deciding. That's okay. If you're having trouble deciding, even if you're graduating in Maine, you haven't the faintest idea what God wants you to do. That's okay. That's where you start today. Step up your prayer. Be in much, much prayer. See, the reason that you don't know what God wants you to do with your life yet is because He hasn't made it clear yet. You know, He hasn't made it clear. And sometimes, some, He wants us to struggle. He wants us to struggle and, and get closer and closer to Him and cry out to Him and plead for His direction. He wants to know that you mean business, that you really want to serve Him from the depths of your heart with all of your life. So if you don't know today, I want to add to what Paul is saying. Be in much prayer. If you are developing a, a circle of friends, a network that you're going to talk to people, Paul said maybe you'd have 200. I want to encourage you to write a letter to those 200 people. Ask them to pray with you for God's clear direction for your life. Tell them what you've majored in, what kind of experience, and then say, please pray that God will lead me to exactly the right spot that he has for me. Send that letter out to those 200 people. Make sure your church is in prayer for you in these days. At the same time, be learning as much as you possibly can about potential careers for you. In his timing, God will establish your steps in the right direction. He will establish your steps. He'll guide you one step after another and you'll be there You'll say, wow, this seems like what I ought to do. That's how God speaks to our hearts. He leads us, and then you'll find yourself in a situation that simply seems like this is it. And when it seems like this is it, and when you've prayed, friends have prayed, you've sought godly counsel, you've done all the digging, had all the information, and you come to a point where it seems like this is it, go for it with all your heart. Go for it with all your heart. Don't look back. Go for it with all your heart. Now, it may not be for a lifetime. I certainly haven't had a call for a lifetime. I know that I'm supposed to be a missionary today. I knew that I was supposed to be at Master's College from 1985 until 1990. I knew that. In fact, the older I get, the more convinced I am that the center of God's will for my life is a place I can't figure a way out of that you just know in your heart and in your soul that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And it has to be there because there come difficult days and you have to know in the depth of your heart and soul that you're where God wants you so you can make it through those hard days. But God may want you to have one career field for the next five years and then maybe he's using that to help you prepare for even another one, as was the case in my life. As I look back, every experience that I had up until when I became a missionary at age 50, the stuff that I do with Send International as European Director and so on, 
and lots of involvement with, with the secular world, lots of involvement, university people and ministry of education, government people in these different countries. And all the experience that I had before gives me a confidence level so that I'm not intimidated at those levels and with those people's people. But if I had just, had there been another way, it wouldn't have been as good for me. God knew exactly, and he established my steps, and he ordered, ordered my steps all through my life, and he wants to do that exact same thing for you. Turn back to John chapter 15 again. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is the purpose of your career. Draw a big circle around John 15, 16. It's the purpose of your life and it's the purpose of your career. It's the purpose of everything about you. Let's stand and read this together. I know we're going to have different versions. That's okay. Most of you will have a New American Standard. John 15 and verse 16. Let's read it together. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Our God and our Father, Thank you for choosing each one of us. Thank you for appointing us. Thank you for knowing everything about us. Thank you for having a perfect plan for each of our lives. Lord, I pray for every one of these dear young men and women here today that you would make it abundantly clear. And in your process and in your timing, day by day, carefully lead them in the path that you would have them go for their life's work. And Lord, I pray that every one of them, as they leave this place, would know in their heart for the rest of their lives that the purpose of their career is to bear fruit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed and God bless you.